You're listening to a podcast from Catalyst Vineyard Church, Aberdeen. You can find out more about our church, as well as more talks on our website, catalyst.vin. And I just want to say again, just a big welcome if you're joining us online this morning. Why don't we just turn, for those of you that can, just wave at the camera, say, hey, everybody, welcome. Welcome to Catalyst Vineyard. Brilliant. Well, if you've been here in the room, we've been singing quite a bit about let your kingdom come, haven't we? And Jesus taught us that prayer, let your kingdom come. What are we actually praying? Because when we pray that prayer, we're actually asking for God's rule and reign to invade our lives and our hearts and our wills. Uh, I don't know if you heard about this, but uh, there was a chap called Hamish, and he got up one morning, as he normally does, and he uh, uh, got ready for work, made a cup of coffee, took one in, because he was a dutiful husband to his wife, gave her a kiss and headed out, got in the car, and off he went. And uh, wife went downstairs, was pottering around in the kitchen, flicked on the radio. And on the radio, it said this. this a report came through. A report came through that on the uh, M73, um, there was, or seemingly, a report coming through that, that somebody was driving down the M73 the wrong way. And she thought, oh my word. Hamish goes to work that way. So she picked up her phone and phoned Hamish in the car. And she said, darling, I'm very concerned for you, but it seems like there is somebody traveling down the wrong way of the M73. Are you okay? His response was, darling, it's not just one. It seems to be there are hundreds. (laughs) That's being a bit different, isn't it? I mean, there's different and then there's different. You know, I often think we want to be natural, but we also want to be supernatural. We kind of want to be ordinary, and yet we want God to do the extraordinary. We love it, don't we? We want to be unique, but not weird. You know, we're going to, as Christians, as we're following Jesus, it's going to result in us becoming different because he was different. You know, I've been reading through Luke's gospel in my own personal studies recently, and I have been, do you know, I have just been recaptured by who Jesus is and the things that he does and says. He is so different, and his difference is incredibly attractive. I just love how inclusive he is, how he makes space and room for people that don't have a voice. Some of the things that he says are just like awkward, and yet at the same time you're like, that's so true. As I've been reading Luke's gospel, I've been like, I've been kind of like falling in love with Jesus again and going, do you know, I love your difference and the difference that you're making in the Gospels. I want to be different, and I want to have your kind of difference, you know, in me. So when we sing and when we pray, let your kingdom come, what we're asking and what we're saying is, God, let your difference, your holiness come into my life and make changes. 
so that we, the, so, so we become different on the inside to produce difference, a godly difference in the world. It's an in us, through us prayer. His otherliness. And I don't know about you, but as I read the gospel, I see in him this remarkable invitation to become more like him, to be peace. Actually, to be peace, not just to receive peace, but to actually live from a place of peace, forgiven, to have real integrity in a world of deep fakes and false news. That's different, isn't it? To be humble in environments where self-advancement and self-protection rules and an otherliness that honors others above self-gratification. Tori last week spoke on Paul praying for the Thessalonian church. And if you're visiting or you're just catching up online, you know, we're in this series called Future Focus and we're looking at First Thessalonians. And Tori began to look at the prayer that Paul was praying for this amazing, young, uh, growing church in Thessaloniki. And, and his prayer was this, that they would be strengthened in love and also that they would overflow in love towards others. There's a love, like strengthened in Jesus and out of that place comes a love for the people around them. And that love for people around us takes on lots of different shapes, if you like, or, um, or material almost in our relationships and how we interact with one another. And so as we come to chapter 4, which we're going to be looking at this morning, you know, he's, Paul is like the coach now, and he's uh, really excited. He's loving what he sees, what Timothy has reported back, and uh, we're going to just pick it up um, for a few minutes here in, cha- uh, in chapter 4, uh, verse 1. He says this, and it's coming up on the screen as well. As for other matters, brothers and sisters, we instructed you how to live in order to please God, as in fact you are living. And now we ask you and urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more, for you know what instructions we gave you by the authority of the Lord Jesus. I mean, can you see the sort of posture of Paul just in these opening remarks in this chapter? His posture is, hey, you're doing well. You're doing good. All, you know, the report we've got is that you are loving one another and you're loving your community in a really great way. And now can I ask you and urge you to continue in what you've begun? Some of you in this room um, are, love a bit of sport. I know some of you may, it might not be your most favorite thing. I love sport, just about any kind of sport. And a couple of weeks ago, I think it was a Sunday, I had a, I had a moment of tension and crisis because um, the Tour de France was on. Some of you are like, oh, you're already shutting down, but some of you are coming alive. I'm speaking your love language. The Tour de France was on, and it was like this critical phase in the Tour de France, you know. And I was watching that. And every time there was a break, 
I went straight across to Wimbledon final. <laughs> and there's this titanic struggle going on, you know, and I'm just watching these, 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 these. And I love, I love athletics and football. And I think the Women's World Cup is on at the moment. But I was thinking about the tour in particular, that, you know, that, well, ultimately, the guys that are brilliant in the Tour de France are basically just a pair of lungs and a pair of legs, and everything else doesn't really matter. And they do it for three weeks, and they cover incredible distances. And... A number of years ago, David Bailesford introduced this um, way of training called incremental gains theory, and where you make lots and lots of tiny changes. So it could be to do with the diet of the athlete. You get that tweet. Or it could be to do with the kind of rest that an athlete has. It could be to do with the technology on the bike, getting it lighter, using the right gearing, using the right gears. And, 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 then, and then looking at all of these tight and making little incremental changes. And the reality is, as you make those tiny incremental changes over a period of three weeks where people are cycling literally thousands of kilometers, it makes an enormous difference. It affects all areas of their lives. Allowing Jesus' rule and reign to increase in our lives is going to affect every area of our lives. And he's going to want to make incremental changes in our hearts. Where our hearts are not quite in sync with him. The Holy Spirit, as we've been uh, even singing, like, come and fill us. What does he do? He comes and he highlights little areas of our lives that need to change. To be submitted to him. And when we do that, there's a change that takes place. And this is part of the discipleship tweaking that comes as God, by his spirit, is at work in each and every one of us. There's a convicting and a repenting and a shifting and a changing, and we move from one degree of glory to another. In other words, he's making us holy. He's making us different. And so I know those athletes are making changes to win a race, but actually we need to make changes and allow God to make changes so that we become and we're increasing the level of becoming like him. Does that make sense? And so the posture of this first little bit is, I urge you in the Lord Jesus to do this more and more. You know, when we come to church on a Sunday or we meet in a connect group, you know, these are real moments where we can say, Holy Spirit, come and make changes in me. And so here, Paul is encouraging, he's championing, he's cheering us on today. He speaks here, and we're about to look at it, in chapter 4, in three areas that he wants the Thessaloniki church to make some tweaks, if you like. 
And, one, and, and it's coming out of um, Timothy's report. It's probably when Timothy went and spoke to them and hung out with them, there are three areas of life that seem to probably come up in conversation or in pastoral situations. One was to do with death. So there were some questions about death. I think we've all got some questions about death, 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 haven't we? You know, we, you, I think during the pandemic, one of the most Googled things and topics was what's next. And so it's relevant, isn't it? He also, there's some questions around money, finance, and work. And so he begins to address that because he's sort of saying to them, hey, you know, I want you to, in effect, embrace life and you need to continue to work. Let's not be lazy. You know, we're not here to, like, Jesus has saved us. We're going to do nothing and then suddenly be beamed up into heaven. And so he begins to address that further down the chapter. But what he does in this little bit we're about to look at is that he begins to speak into a culture a hedonistic culture, and he says, we need to talk about sex. So I don't know if, how prepared you were this morning. You were coming to church, and you're like, oh, no. We're going to talk a little bit about sex. You know, if you went to the pub, these are probably three topics that would probably be talked about quite a lot. Sex. Okay. This is what Paul then says, and, he, and, I, and, I, and, I, and I just want to over this as we read this passage, he appreciates the challenges and the tensions of a people encountering Christ and coming to know him and being born again and then having to work out their faith in a culture and in a society that um, is hedonistic. You know, we're going to see that Paul hasn't told them to remove themselves from society, build a wall around them, or somehow go and live in a monastery away from the world. He hasn't said that. Jesus says, I want you to be light, and I want you to be salt, and I want you to be yeast, pressed into the dough of life and society and community. So Paul is speaking to people he knows. He's talking to people that he he understands the tensions of living in a culture when we're being called to be countercultural, to be different. So let's read on. In verse 3, this is Paul speaking. It says, It is God's will that you should be sanctified. Now, that word again, it's like you need to be, God calls you to be different. That you should avoid sexual uh, immorality. That each of you should learn to control your own body in a way that is holy and honorable. Not in passionate lust like the pagans who do not know God. And that is, and that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. The Lord will punish all who commit such sins. So he's just saying there are some consequences to certain behaviors. The Lord will punish. Um, Oh, as we told you and warned you before. For God did not call us to be impure, but to live a holy, remember again, a different and otherly kind of life. Therefore, anyone who rejects this instruction does not reject a human being, but God, the very God who gives you the Holy Spirit. And so here is Paul, and I think he's just so aware of the the tensions 
of living in this world and yet somehow not being part of it and being different. He's speaking to people who um, have neighbors, communities, jobs, friendships, lives that intersect with others just like you and me. I don't know if you know this, but there would have been in this context customs and celebrations and holidays and even commerce and industry that was governed by the various religious cults of their day, the beliefs and their, if you like, the, uh, of the local and the Roman culture. You know, if you wanted to buy meat, the local butcher was often the guy that cut up meat for the animal sacrifices to the local deity. Pubs and places of social kind of leisure spaces, spaces they were part of the, 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 the sort of temple worship. And amongst all of that was prostitution. And it was just like all of this stuff was like systemic in the culture. And so here we have this group of born-again new believers emerging out of a culture where there was no boundaries or very few boundaries when it came to relationships and multiple partners was pretty normal. And there would have been married couples, but then either of them could have had other partners. It was seen that sex in itself was like this ascent to a higher level of consciousness and spirituality. It's not that dissimilar to our own culture. And yet into that, the Holy Spirit wants to shape and change and help us and help them change how we view the world and how in particular we see other people. In Romans 12, some of you may know this passage well, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. The renewing and the recreating of how we think. And I believe that when our hearts are deeply touched by Christ and we begin to see the world through Jesus' eyes, there is a renewing process that takes place. Just recently, I've had the wonderful opportunity to speak to a whole bunch of young people. And um, this was a a youth festival uh, earlier on in the week. And one of my talks, I was talking about how Jesus gets to that point where he's coming to Jericho. And it says, and when Jesus um, reached a particular spot, he looked up. And saw Zacchaeus, you know, the guy that everybody hated. But the reality is, is when he looked up, he didn't see just a man that everybody hated. He saw what God was doing in that man. And he was a lost son. And so Jesus engages and interacts with him in a very different way to the rest of the world would have done. Because he's bringing God's difference to that situation. And when we look at one another, this is where Paul wants us to go this morning. When we look at one another, what do we see? When we look at the world and we look at people who don't know Jesus, what are we seeing? We need to get a hold of that other people are God's children. 
They've been made in God's image. And as a people, we're called to honor them. And where there isn't dignity, we're called to bring dignity. And we'll get into all of that in a minute. And so we need a renewing. And the Spirit of God wants to come and renew our minds and recreate how we think about one another. And in Romans 8, it says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. Can you see the collision? And I, I don't know about you, but there is a collision of the kingdom in our own lives, isn't there? What the world presses into us, what our own bodies and desires are kind of doing, and then the Holy Spirit seeks to speak into that truth. And the question is, is are we going to be a people who are going to be a people of the Spirit? And then it says here, or a people of the flesh. You see that? Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on the flesh and all the desires. But those who live in accordance with the Holy Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. And so we have desire and thinking in the same sentences. So how we think about some stuff will affect some of our desiring. So when we come to know Jesus, we begin to engage with the mind of Christ. He wants to bring change in how we think and then also how we see. And empower us to see the world differently. And for us, for, for me as a man, to see women differently. As a heterosexual, I need to see people differently, to see as Jesus saw, not as objects of desire. Pete Hughes, writing in his book, um, All Things Made New, says, we are more often driven by our appetites and desires than our reasoning. Therefore, to embrace change, we need more than just renewed minds. We need redirected desires. And only the Spirit of God can do that. To work with, if you like, or for that to happen, we need to imitate and we need to practice. And that's a process that most of us are familiar with. That's how we, you know, we've learned to walk. We've imitated and then we've practiced, or talk, or ride a bike. And at what at first felt uncomfortable or even unnatural becomes second nature. You see, there are moments in our lives as Christians, Jesus breaks in and can do a miraculous thing. He does. He did it in my life. He's healed up my life in certain areas. There are certain things that when I encountered Jesus, literally changed overnight. And yet also, there are things that have taken time and are still taking time. And I need to practice and put in place rhythms to help bolster and help even create new neurological pathways in my thinking to become a changed person and to become the difference that I love about Jesus and for him to be having that in my life. One of the most beautiful things that I've seen as I've gone through the book of Luke is how Jesus treats ladies. When the world is treating them with 
contempt or they have no rights. He is stepping into that void and he's inviting them in as a sister and as a mother and he's loving them and he's making homes, a place for them. He's doing it in a way that is just so kind and beautiful and righteous and different to the world. Paul is urging them on, cheering them on, and at the same time, he's now wanting to just challenge them a little bit. Like, as an athlete, you know, if we go back to that athletic analogy, you can do a whole load of training, but if your diet isn't right, it's going to be hard work. And I think Paul is saying to the church, you're doing amazing, but let's be aware of some things that will work against what the Spirit of God wants to do in your life. And so he goes on, doesn't he? And he says there, learn to control your bodies. (laughs) Learn to control. That each of you should learn to control your own body. Hmm. In fact, actually, as I, uh, there's a little uh, B in my Bible there, and, it, and, it, and if you go there uh, and look at that, it says, learn to be content with your wife, because he's speaking to a predominantly a male environment. In other words, it seems like, not just in the culture, but possibly in the church, there were some people who were playing around, and he's like, we don't do that. Let's control Let's bring, we, in fact, like I think often in our language and uh, 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 maybe even in church and in society, we don't like to use the word control. We see it as a negative thing. But in this context, it is a gift of the Holy Spirit. It is, or should I say, it's a fruit of the Holy Spirit at work in our lives. Isn't that right? If we read Galatians 5, and we love these, don't we? We know, ah, You know, the the fruit of being in connection and in relationship with God is that out of us, yeah? Because the branch that we are, John 15, is in the vine. And if we remain in the vine, fruit is inevitable. It's going to come out. It's the overflow of the sap of who God is. So love should happen. This agape, self-giving love. Joy. Peace, forbearance, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're good with a lot of them, but that one. And then we go, oh, but I'm only human. Don't we? Or is that just me? Is it just you online? Oh, love, kindness, gentleness, this is all so lovely. But, oh, it's got, I've got to now stop something, resist something, hold back. Do you see? Against such thing there is no law, he says. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Since we live by the Spirit, let's keep in step with the Spirit. And then he goes on, so I say, live by the Spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is contrary to the Spirit and the Spirit what is contrary to the flesh and they're in conflict with each other. And I think all of us as Christians experience this. We don't often talk about it because sometimes we're a bit 
our language at church is a bit um, over-victorious, you know what I mean? Jesus has done some stuff, it's amazing, but we are having to work this out a little bit. And so sometimes we do feel the conflict in our own hearts. But he is encouraging us, hey, let's not be ruled by the crowd. Let's not be ruled by the environments in which we're living in, in the society, in the culture. Let's not be ruled by our own physical bodies. Hey, we're a kingdom people. We're a heavenly people. This is where the nitty-gritty get comes. We're to be ruled by Jesus and his will in our own hearts and lives. And the outcome of that is we're going to have self-control. Because we know, that's in verse 5, because we know we've received the otherly. Yeah? We have experienced goodness, forgiveness, grace, kindness. We've experienced, maybe for some of us, where we felt like our dignity has been robbed and Jesus' embrace has put dignity and wholeness back into our lives. And then he says there, you know, don't, he starts to talk about don't take advantage. And that in this matter, no one should wrong or take advantage of a brother or sister. Even when... The laws permit and even encourage certain behavior. It doesn't make it right. We live in a culture and an environment where there are pretty much are no boundaries. In fact, in this context here, in Thessaloniki and under Roman law, you know, uh, and often these Roman households, the sort of patriarch of the household owned everything and everybody in it. So including... Pretty much the household was invo- would have included a whole bunch of people um, under his um, uh, power in the sense of they were probably slaves. And basically you could do anything you wanted with that which you owned. Can you see what's going on here? Paul wants to speak into the culture just because under Roman law it says that you can treat and do anything you want with any of these people in your care. He's saying that doesn't mean it's right in God. Isn't that fascinating? When our culture is saying something and being very permissive and speaking to all of our desires that there is freedom and liberty in this area, or even in law they're protected, It doesn't make it right. Why? Because we are bound and we are called to live different in that culture. I was speaking to a young guy a number of years ago, uh, a young loon, as we say here in Aberdeen, and he was loving Jesus. It was all real and new, and he was doing all he can, and you know, he'd come from a place where he would go out partying a lot and God had got a hold of his life. And so he had stepped back. You know, he was really intentional about, I don't, I, I want to keep my friends, but behavior was so tempting, you know. So he'd had to step back from some of those friendships and it was really painful and all of that kind of stuff. Um, and then he found himself out one night with a whole other group of pals, but, but they were in a party and it was fine. They were, you know, he had like one beer, you know, big deal. You know, he's trying to 
where there was no boundaries. He's putting some boundaries around his own heart and life and behavior. And, uh, and what, what, what happened as the night went on, there was a girl in the room that he found incredibly attractive. And she got a little bit drunk, to say the least. And they got chatting, and she basically threw herself at him. And at one level, in his, in his, he describes it this way, at one level he was like, all his fantasies have come home. They're like, it's all happening. This person is giving herself to him. She, he liked her. He was like, wow, this is all happening. And then inside he's like, but I'm called to be different in this moment. I'm caught in this like this. I can't take advantage. I can't allow the flesh to rule this moment and to take advantage of this girl. And she's going, come home with me. And in that moment of collision, and I'm sure there are people in the room that experience this, he says to her, listen, I, I really like you, but I like you so much, I'm going to say no. He drew a boundary line. And he said it was so hard to do it. And she reacted really negatively, got really cross with him. Why are you rejecting me? And he left. And he was really upset about the whole ex- thing. Two days later, in a different context, he saw her. And she came over to him. And she said, I need to know why. Why you wouldn't. And he said... because I didn't want to rob you of your dignity. I didn't want to take something that I don't think you would have given if you had been in your right kind of mind. And, and also more than that, I'm trying to follow Jesus and not be a taker any longer, but to be a giver, to be someone who doesn't take what isn't theirs to take and to give grace and love and dignity what a beautiful thing did she fall on her knees and repent and suddenly go I want to give her my life to Jesus no but I guarantee that that girl that moment has lived with her he kept her dignity and so guys I, I think for all of us and for Paul writing We live in this culture, don't we, where pleasure and pleasing ourselves is pretty much king. And in some ways, sort of sexual experiences have become king, have become this big deal. It's never been so prevalent, never been so acceptable, and never been so accessible, both in person and also in the comfort of our own homes. Accessibility comes with a pandemic of shame and manifesting in a deep passivity and sometimes an unhealthy procrastination. That's the effects of, of sexual immorality. But the great news is this, that Christ's freedom and love are always present. And so I think Paul's getting at here is we've got to avoid the lies that the explicit tells. It's short-lived and it's a poor substitute. And it is not the pinnacle or the Everest of human expression. I wonder if that's maybe why 
Paul earlier on says, imitate me as I imitate Christ. Because here's a man who's not married. And he has found a fulfillment in Christ that goes beyond all the other physical ones. Jesus had, didn't get married. Have you ever thought about that? I've been thinking about that. Why? Because he found his full fulfillment in an intimate relationship with his father in heaven. Paul wants to draw the community of God back and say, this over here in culture is not, is not everything. What your everything is, is found in him who loves you and knows you and will make you whole. You are not, you know, our culture says if you're not experimenting, if you're not engaged in sex in some shape or form, whether it's with a person or, 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 or in the world of fantasy and the internet and, and all of that, then you're not and you haven't become the person you should, you know, you, 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 you should be. You've not tried it all yet. <laughs> That's what the world says. Paul is coming against that and saying, hey, that is not the be-all and end-all. It's not the key to human fulfillment. And I do think that that is a message that is being portrayed in our society. That if you're not having sex, then you're a nobody. I think that is an absolute lie because life isn't about that. Ultimately, there is a longing deep in our hearts. You know, we are complicated and beautiful people. We've been made in God's image. And that means we're more than just skin and bone. We're more than just what we see, what the physical is. We have an inner world, don't we? Some of us are better at it than others. Some of us are thinkers, <laughs> creators, organizers, bringing understanding. We love to figure things out. There's an emotional world in us, isn't there? Underneath the skin, there's a whole other thing going on there that's often confusing and exhilarating. And those emotions and desires are often pointing towards good stuff. Wouldn't you agree? Anyone feeling a little bit peckish right now? Because what? We've got a desire for food. That's not a bad thing. When I feel thirsty, it's a desire. I need a drink. And we are beings with the desires, and they all point to something. And even a, a sexual awakening points to something. It does point to intimacy. But we've been made in God's image. And the thing is, in the layers of our humanity, where we are more than skin and bone, we're, we're more than just thinking people. We have an emotional world, don't we? But we're also spiritual people. We've been made in his image. And so when we're not connecting spiritually, then all those other things can sometimes be out of kilter. I love a good uh, wildlife program. Atlantic salmon, wow. What is the deal with them? They're incredible. They are, you know, they're spawned and born in this 
you know, upper stream in the backwaters of Canada, you know, and then they come out and they live their entire lives in the Atlantic Ocean. And then there is this remarkable homing beacon built within them that says, it's, I need to go home. And somehow, and I don't know how it all works, some of you are better thinkers than me and know more than me, but for some reason they can go all the way back, not only to the same river that they were spawned in, but to the exact spot. Wild. In them is an intrinsic homing, I need, you're like, I'm not, I need to go back, I need to be at home. Yeah, well they die, I know that's a bit awkward, the illustration kind of stops there, because there is a home and beacon in each and every one of us because we've been made, made in the image of God and therefore there is a spiritual eternal hunger in each and every one of us that will, until we reconnect with him who made us, all of these desires, all of this other stuff, is kind of our kilter. Paul is saying, guys, you're doing great, but I want you to be aware you need to avoid some stuff that's going to work against you. I'm calling you to be a people full of him and to be different, especially in this area of intimacy and, and sex, because in that culture, that would have been a massive witness. Isn't it interesting? The great tension of that culture becomes the place of great witness. I, I really believe that this is probably a, a really good message for us. How we do life, how we do relationships, how we do intimacy, it, it, it could easily be the, one of the most powerful areas to witness to our community, our friends, and our culture. Because the people will say, why are you doing it like that? Because I believe in dignity. And I believe that actually Jesus has called me into a relationship with him first and foremost, and therefore that puts a framework around how I'm gonna do relationships with other people. And maybe I will get married, or maybe I won't get married, but he's first. And so that's gonna shape how I do the rest. It's powerful, isn't it? Really powerful into our world. And I think we probably should just land there because in verse seven it just wraps up, you know, God didn't call us to be impure, but to live a holy life. And then he lands there, doesn't he, and says, because I'm the God who gives you the Holy Spirit. To be and to live, to live a holy, a different life, we need the power of the Holy Spirit in us. Paul goes on and says, every day, let's get filled with him. Let's let him pour the light onto our lives what need to change. And for some of us, let's just be really super practical. For some of us, this is a wrestle. It is a wrestle. And so we might need to put some practical boundaries down and in around our lives. And that might include some great friendships. Let's talk about it. Let's not sub just stick it under the carpet. Let's talk about it. Let's say, hey, I'm wrestling with this area of my life. Will you help me? Will it pray for me? Let's get the secret stuff out. Because when it's no longer secret, it doesn't hold us. And there's always grace. I love that about Jesus. There's always grace. We're being, he is extracting us from this world. He is 
by his spirit making us different, but his kind of difference. And I don't know about you, I find that incredibly attractive, compelling. I want to be more like that. So hey, I'm going to pray and then we're going to stand and and let's just, really today I want to just pray for the Holy Spirit to fill us with power to be different and to experience and be re-embraced maybe for some of us with his kind of love that would affect how we see the world and the people around us. And so that's my prayer. Heavenly Father, we pray, Lord, for the things that I've shared this morning, that that which is speaking uh, from you, Lord, would it just land and grip our hearts and bring change, renew us, reorientate our lives in a way that we're not focused on the crowd or even our own bodies, but on you. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.